Morning, everyone. It is great to almost see. There we go. Hey, how's it going? Are you enjoying this weather? Are you warm? Just wait till tomorrow when we get all the rain because we live in North Carolina, right? So, okay. Let's uh, turn to chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. We're in a series called Breaking the Idols of Our Hearts. And um, there's a story here that really depicts, uh, really illustrates the idol that we're going to talk about today. So turn with me in your Bibles to that uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. If you didn't bring your Bible, great news. If you lean forward, there's one right in front of you in the back of the pew. Grab that one. And um, it's, it's a few books in uh, from the front. So if you go to the front and just kind of go over a handful of pages, you're going to run right into 1 Samuel. And um, as I said, in this particular, uh, this particular uh, book, we're going to read about an incident that, uh, again, highlights our idol that we're going to talk about today. Uh, two figures that we're going to talk about, Samuel and Saul, King Saul. Samuel was a prophet. Uh, he was a guy, if you remember, prophets were used by God to, uh, you know, at the time when you, you would see a prophet, it was when something was wrong, and God would use men that were prophets to go and to say, hey, we got some issues we need to talk about. We need to make a change here. And so Samuel was one of those guys, and Saul was the king of Israel at the time. And so uh, here we have this, this uh, uh, an incident taking place. So in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, in verse 1 it says, And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me... I'm going to read from the, uh, the ESV version, by the way. It might be a little bit different from the NIV. But he said, And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says, says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them, and 200,000 men on foot, 2,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Verse 6, Then Saul said to the Canaanites, Go, depart, go down from among the, the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites. Amal- I struggle with this every service, this name here. Uh, the, the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of them, alive, and he devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. Guys picking up on something here? Verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel that Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went, to Gil- went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. You guys listening? You checking out on it? Are you hearing what's happening here? Samuel comes to Saul and says, this is what God is saying to do, Saul. You're the king of Israel. This is what God is telling you to do. Destroy everything of the Amalekites. Get rid of everything. Men, women, infants, children, animals, all that. 
utterly destroy it. Saul doesn't do it, correct? So now Samuel comes back to Saul to basically find out what's going on. And lo and behold, we have Saul uh, starting in a little, what we would call a little white lie, right? He says, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the command of the Lord. And Samuel said, oh, did you? You know, oh, have you? Well, then tell me, Saul, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And then Saul said, well, they have brought them from the Amalekites. I like how the responsibility now starts getting shifted, as we always do. They, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. And so Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, and you are, not the head of, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction." But the people took, the, took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of these things, devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Now, look up here on the screen with me. I want you to follow along here. And let's, let's read these next words together. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Because I feared the people, and I obeyed their voice. Guys, we're going to talk about an idol today called the fear of man. And in John, this is something that's not nothing new or by any means. In John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, Jesus is on the scene and He's teaching, and some people come up to Him, and they say this, they acknowledge something different about Jesus. You know, they acknowledge His works and His teaching and things and how His teaching had authority with God and that came from God. And they saw just a different, something absolutely different when Jesus taught and the way He conducted Himself. And they said this, they said, nevertheless, this is kind of a backhanded compliment, but they say, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in Him, but for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from. Okay, one more time. For they love the glory that comes from more than the glory that comes from God. We got a little issue. We got a little issue here. We got an idol called the fear of man. And it's one, it's an idol that there's many of us sitting here this morning that we struggle with this one. The fear of man. None of us likes to feel rejected. By the way, how many of you in here have a fear, the idol fear of man? Of course you're not going to raise your hand, right? Because people are going to look around and they're going to reject you. That's what's going to happen. 
I got to thinking about this. Like, no one's going to raise their hand. I mean, some may because they're very truthful, you know. But for the most part, we're going to be, I ain't raising my hand. Someone's going to see me. They might think less of me, right? Yes, you do have an idol of the fear of man in your heart if you're, if you're sensing some of those things. It's that fear of rejection. No one likes it. There's not a single person in there saying, oh, yeah, I love it. I love to be excluded. I love to be rejected. I love to feel like no one really likes me, you know. But it's that fear of rejection. It's that fear of somebody else's opinion about us. Uh, Edward Welch wrote a book called uh, when, when People Are Big and God, God Is Small. And he says this, and I think it is so spot on. He says, it's easier for us to die for Jesus. It would be easier, I'm going to put my own words, it would be so much easier for us to physically die for Jesus than to live out our faith for Him. There's a lot of wisdom in that. It's, it would be, now, none of us probably want to die. But it would be so much easier for us to say, go ahead, put a bullet in my head for following Jesus, but don't make me live out my life in the sense of rejection or the sense of being excluded because I believe in something so much bigger and greater. Right? Uh, yesterday, I had the, um, the cool opportunity to uh, talk to the, in the first half of the day, talk to the, uh, the upward kids. And, and our, our, our challenge was, we have this game and we had this challenge, and the challenge was, challenge was as we set goals, sometimes as we set a goal, as we are challenged through life, uh, we, can, we can either press on to achieve that goal or we can just kind of back off and say, you know what, you know, I, I can't accomplish it, so I'm done. And so we, we challenged that and we talked about the Apostle Paul when he said, I'm pressing on you know, to, to, for that goal. You know, and and his, his words was, you know, I'm pressing on for that goal, which is my eternal uh, destination of, of spending, spending uh, eternity with Jesus you know, in heaven. And so we talked about that a little bit. And I talked about how a lot of time, you know, in, in that particular context, in their particular context, that can be very challenging if they say, you know what, I'm going to, become, I'm going to be a Christian. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I, be, you know, I accept his, his love. And as they go to school, if, you know, it's, it's, it would be very easy as, as, as they feel rejected because they're different now. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're trying to live out their faith. And so they become they can become uh, excluded. They, be, they can become challenged for that, just like you and I. It doesn't matter if we're in school or not. It's in our workplaces. We may be in, we may be in school, we may be in college, high school, whatever, but it's wherever we're at in our relationships that we have. It's when we start sensing that we may be, feel rejected. We get this concept, uh-oh, okay, someone's going to think less of me if I step up here. And it's that, it's that fear It's that you know, uh, of becoming unpopular or ignored or criticized or poor. Or where it's much, much easier to say, you know what, I'd rather take a bullet in the head and live my life this way. And some of us, some of us, truth be known, if we would be very truthful, some of us in our workplaces and in other relationships, other people may not even know our faith. Because we keep it kind of on the back shelf because it's like, you know, I don't really want to put it out there because, you know, we justify why we don't do what we do. Edward Welch would go on to say this. He would say, we are far more concerned about looking stupid, which is the fear of people, than we are about acting sinfully, which is the fear of God. We've got them reversed, don't we? That's the fear. That's an idol. Just like King Saul had, and it cost him his kingship. It cost him his king. God grieved that he made King Saul, or he made Saul king over his people because, because he feared people more than he feared him, God. And so just like with us, that's what a lot of times we can fall in the same exact trap. We can become so much more concerned about what someone thinks about us. Some of you may be sitting in this room that others look at and say, I'm very concerned about what they will think about me. 
Some of you have sat in the context of church. Some of you have sat in meetings in church and things like that where you've actually been persuaded to uh, the, the, way you, the way that you led or the way you made certain decisions and things like that was purely based upon what other people may have thought of you that's sitting there with you. Because if you went the way you thought you should have went, you, would have might, you might have experienced rejection or some type of an opinion from somebody else. And so it's something that's it's extremely real. It's very real to us. And, and, and like I said earlier, there was a backhanded compliment, which I got confused with the other passage of Scripture, but there was a backhanded compliment given to Jesus uh, when Jesus was here in Matthew twenty two sixteen. Jesus, By the way, Jesus never took a poll to say, hey, what should we do today, guys? You know, how should we do this? You know, let's, let's get the majority, you know, the majority rules here. Let's put it out for discussion. Let's, where do we want to go today? What do we want to do? Jesus was very concerned about doing the will of the Father. He spent countless hours in prayer by himself to ascertain and to discern the will of the Father, to make sure that his life was spot on accomplishing that which he was sent. Matthew twenty two sixteen he gets this he gets this weird compliment in a sense where these people were saying and they sent their disciples to him along with Herodians saying teacher we know that you are the we know that you are a true we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Paul had the same concept within his life, and he stated it this way in Galatians 1.10. He says that if he were still trying to please men, he would not be a servant of God. Paul said the same thing. I think Paul wrestled with some of that too at times. I think Paul was one of these, you know, in this particular passage of Scripture, Paul was coming out saying, if you, because he's being accused of this, he was saying, if you really believe that I'm out for the public opinion, the, 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 the acceptance of mankind, that I wouldn't even be a servant of God. I wouldn't even be saying half of the things that I'm saying. I mean, he was willing to put his line out there. And, and, and essentially what it is, we're talking about this idol of the fear of man. It brings destruction within our lives. We may say, you know what? You know, some of you may be sitting here saying, you know what? I don't deal with this, this at all. And maybe you don't. Maybe this isn't your pet idol. Maybe this isn't the one that really grabs you. But I want to ask a couple of questions here and just kind of respond to them within your heart because I think it can lead us a little bit more into uh, the, the discerning to, to discern whether or not we struggle with this and, and to what degree or to what level. Have you ever not spoken up in a meeting when you should have? Has there ever been a time where you sat in a meeting, whether it be church or any other type of meeting, where you did not speak up for what was right? Not your opinion, but for what was right. Has there ever been a time where you said, you kind of observed the landscape of, of, of the nature of the discussion of the way it was going in this meeting, and you, you realized that if you would speak up, you would be that one person, or you would be siding with this other side over here that's the, that was the unpopular uh, uh, voice at the particular point in time. Has there ever been a time where you sat in a meeting when you know what should have been said, you chose not to say because you were afraid of rejection? Such as, you know, has there ever been a time where you sat in a meeting where people started to talk about maybe someone else and you said, you know what, I don't think this is right. I don't think it's right that we refer or talk, to, talk about someone when they're not present because that's, that's not right. Have you ever sat in a meeting where it was going a direction where it violated the Word of God and you said, you know what, I'm not comfortable in, in sitting here and discussing this because I really don't believe this is this is." God edifying, or I don't, I, this really compromises my values. 
Have you ever changed your mind in, the, in a decision or with a decision to simply avoid conflict? Where you knew that if you made the decision that you thought you should make, you knew that it would instigate discussions over here with these, with these, groups, these guys over here. These are bad people over here, right? So, the, you guys are the bad people, you're the good people, all right? These are the neutral people that's trying to figure it out, okay? Have you ever sat in a meeting where, where you had a time where, where again, you, the decision, you knew that if you made a certain decision, you would have to have discussions with a couple individuals, and you said, you know what, it's not worth it. I don't really want to deal with this. Or have you ever went with the flow when you knew it was wrong? Do you ever feel the need to continually or constantly validate yourself? Where it's like, okay, this person, I don't feel as if they respect me. I don't think that they understand me, or I shouldn't say understand, because that's, that's, but, you know, the, the sense of it, you, you need to be validated. Have you ever uh, shared in gossip? Gossip is absolutely destructive, whether it happens within the church or happens without. And gossip is one of those things that we participate in because, instead, because a lot, for many of us, we can't say, I'm not talking about this. This is wrong. I'm not talking about this individual like this. That person's not here, and we just talked about that a little bit. But that's what gossip does. And you, know, you knew that if you would have said that, that person, then you might be the person that's getting talked about too. Have you ever been part of a situation, a meeting or a conversation or something that over here you're in with this group of people and you, you have a discussion and when that meeting or that discussion is over, you go over here and you engage in this, this, this group over here and as you're engaging in here, they don't agree with that group, so you throw this group now that you are part of under the bus and say, well, I didn't agree with it anyhow. Right? That's what we do. Why do we do that? Because we are afraid of rejection. We're afraid of what someone might think of us. We're afraid of being excluded. We're afraid of being looked down upon. Now, you may not be someone that's afraid of it. Maybe you're one of the ones that looks down on people. And that's just as bad. But there's this, there's this concept you know, in us that, you know, that, that drives us to... You know, uh, well, let me ask this question. Have you ever thought about what someone would want you to say or share or feel or think to help them get what they need? Do you feel like a martyr a lot of times? You see, people become an idol when we, when we begin to think, we start elevating, and this is what makes an idol an idol. It's when we take something that's not God and we begin to elevate that something up and give it God-like attributes in a sense, where we start thinking about the God-like gaze that this can give, where we start looking at someone else's opinion and start thinking about, okay, this person's go, their, their gaze is going to look into my life. Does that make sense? And they, and they have this godlike exposing gaze. Or we think about their godlike ability to fill us with esteem. If I just get this person's approval, I'm going to feel good about myself. I'm going to think that I'm receiving love. Or I think I'm going to, be, I think I'm going to receive admiration or acceptance or respect or any other psychological or emotional desires, the ones that only God can give. Does that make sense? That's when we know we have a full-blown idol in, in effect. Because now we've raised something up that can't give us what only God can give us, but yet we raise this up and we will worship this to death. We will give this total allegiance, whatever it is. In this, in this case, it's the fear of man. Because we think that if I can just get this person's approval, then I'm going to feel respected and admired and accepted and all these other things. Who is this person to be elevated to that point. But that's what we do. That's what Saul did. 
I mean, did you hear his discussion with Samuel? Well, they did this. You know, I'm going to separate. We separate ourselves. They did this. They did that. And Samuel was like, didn't have anything to do with it. You saw, you saw, that however you look at yourself, that's one thing. But you were anointed the king of Israel. And this is what God asked you to do. And you didn't do it because you, why? Because I feared man. I feared the opinion of someone else. Guys, that is something that many of us can struggle with. We have that people idol. And it overcomes us. It tells us how to think. It tells us what to feel. It tells us how to act. It tells us what to wear. It tells us what jokes we can listen to and we can laugh at or what ones not to. It tells us how to vote. It tells us where to live. It tells us how close we can get to certain other people or not to get close with them or whether or not we should accept them. I mean, it literally drives us and tells us. It is a very powerful idol within our lives that we will elevate, the fear of man. Now, What's the, um, what's, the, what's the contrary here? What's the solution? Obviously, it's the fear of the Lord. It's fearing the Lord, not man. In Proverbs 1, verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And it says, Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here's what, in the next few moments, I just want to share with you what fearing the Lord means. Because essentially, and you've probably heard this statement before, but essentially this is what it comes down to. We need to have the audience of one. As Christ followers... We need to have the audience of one. And what that means is, that means as we live our lives out, our number one concern and priority is about what God thinks. About us and about what we're involved in or whatever it is. It's about what God thinks, not about what anybody else thinks. And so often we get that reversed. Or we might try to balance it. You can't. We need to have an audience of one. So regardless of what we're doing as Christ followers, if we, if we come into a meeting in the church, if you are in a leadership position in a church or whatever type of position you may hold, the key thing is, does all that we do bring God glory? Well, we'd like to do that, and it probably would bring God glory, but so-and-so is not going to be happy with that. I mean, you've been in those conversations, in church and without. Now, obviously, without, you may not be... Your number one concern, or that the intent of your job is, you know, if you're doing whatever, it may not be to bring God glory, but with your life, it's to bring God glory. And so the question is, how do we learn how to fear God? There's, uh, you know, uh, as, as this says, the fear of God, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. And here, the, the, number one, I think we need, we talked about this last week, I believe, a little bit. I think one of the things we have to do is we have to understand what that word fear means. And as I said before, the translation of that word I don't think is, is great at all. Because when I hear the word fear, I, don't th- I think of more like being scared. You know what I'm saying? The fear. I, th- I think of being scared. Now, there's a certain aspect of God that we look at and we need to have awe for God. You know, when you read throughout the Old Testament, you read where God really displayed His holiness to people. To the point to where they were in awe of God. You know, different stories took place. Um, for instance, if you, you remember that story uh, with David, they were moving the Ark of the Covenant, and that was something that the Ark of the Covenant was one of those things that was it was it was the demonstration of God's presence with His people. And so, to make a long story short, it got taken into captivity because one nation understood that that's where Israel got its power, and if they could just grab this Ark, the Israel would be. Uh, stripped of, of, of their power, which it's exactly what happened. But then God started pl- giving this other 
nation diseases and all this other thing, and they're like, get this thing out of here. So Israel goes and they take it back, and as they're moving it, they're coming through uh, some water, and as they're engaging in this, they're, they're walking up this slippery bank, and as they are, the, the Ark of the Covenant starts to tip, and, and one guy automatically, and I'm like, I would so do the same thing out of instinct, one guy reaches out to study it, and as soon as he touches it, God kills him. And David, King David at the time says, what on earth are you doing, God? You're scaring the people. And God's like, absolutely. Because I deserve awe. I want awe. But, but when I say fear, it, it's more of this deep down respect that says, we're serving a big God. We're serving someone that I may not be able to understand completely within my mind, but I am willing to, to absolutely trust Him. So the fear of the Lord means, a couple different words, would mean to revere, to have reverence. A submission that leads to obedience. Interchangeable uh, with, with this word of, of fear, I think a couple words. Worship. Worship is another word we could replace with fear. Learning how to truly worship God. Now, we could spend a lot of time on this word, because I'll be honest with you, I think we've taken this word and we've reduced it down to our ability to understand what worship means. A lot of times, and some of this really kind of turns my stomach because I think we've really reduced it down. Uh, worship, a lot of times, refers to nothing but what? Our music. Right? We've reduced worship down to music. I like hymns. I don't like that worship and praise stuff. Does that make sense? Or, I don't like hymns. I only like that high-energy worship music. It's like, really? We've reduced it down to that. Worship is so much bigger than that. It's not, it's not you, know, let's get the, you know, let's get the worship out of the way so that we can get the Gail's talk, because I really love Gail's talk and I really don't care about the worship music, right? <laughs> I'll just acknowledge you. You know what I'm saying? But, but if you would stop a second and begin to hear yourself, what we hear a lot of is not God, it's I. I don't like that song. I don't like how fast that's played. I don't like how loud that is. I don't like it when we do videos. I don't like how the lights are. I don't like the color of the carpets. I don't like the seats. I don't like it because we don't have this, that, or the other in the backs of the pews. I don't like the way we dress. I don't like, I mean, we all these things. When has it become about I? When has God gotten removed from this equation? When we come in this place right here, this time and space, what this should be completely devoted to is bringing God His glory. This isn't about you. I know that sounds harsh. It's not about me and it's not about you. This is about us having this incredible privilege and opportunity to come into the presence of of, of the one who has created all things and has demonstrated this incredible, ineffable, unconditional love to you and I, and to say, I, and this God that pursues me in my wretchedness and says that I love you. That's the God I want to worship. I don't want to worship you. I'm sorry. I don't want to worship you. I don't want to worship your preferences. I don't want you to worship my preferences. And I know that that becomes very hard sounding, but that's what happens to our worship services. They become a fear of man. Just a couple weeks ago, 
CJ and I were in my office and we were talking and, and, about this very thing. And some of the things that you learn when you just you get involved in church and all this other stuff and you, and you go to conferences, read books and all this stuff, you know, it's like, okay, you've got to figure out who you're targeting, what person you need to target, you know, what age and all this other stuff, demographics and blah, 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 blah. And I'm talking to him and I'm like, you know, the part that I really struggle with is, I feel, you know, and we're talking about our weekend worship services and, 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 and things like that. And, and it's like the part I really struggle with, as you take a look at that, I see this diagram, this bullseye, and the target, right? And in that target, we have who we're targeting. And you put the word man in there, right? Because that's who we're targeting. We're targeting man. And I understand that to a certain concept. But we're targeting man. And I'm like, when has man ever become the center of that target? I thought this was about God. I thought this was about God, the saints coming together, the people that have been redeemed like you and I, and even those of you that may have not placed your faith and trust in God, but you're coming in here and you're witnessing something that is incredible where we're coming in and we're giving God His glory. We're saying, God, thank you for not giving me what I deserve. That is so much greater than my preferences. We get to come into the presence of God and be God in a sense where God lives in and through us and expresses Himself through us, where I come to you and I say, how, is your, how did your week go? Man, I struggled. Really? Let's go, let's go pray. Let's just take a minute and go pray. Because I care about you. And I care what happens. That's when God gets His glory, is when we become the church. And we become like what Paul talks about, where we encourage one another, where we, I mean, just really lift each other up, where we become And God gets His glory. That's how God works. But so often, we reduce it down to my style, the way I like things. Let's not go too long. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's make sure this, 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 and this lines up. Next thing you know, okay, God, why don't you just sit over here for a second, okay? You sit right there and let us kind of work things out, and then we'll at some time kind of direct our attention to you. That's not worship. That's not fearing God. Another word we could say is rely on. Fearing God. To rely on God. Which means we come to an understanding that we were created for a purpose, that God has placed this, that we have this God-created identity in each and every one of us, and that God places this calling upon our lives that says, I want you to go and I want you to bring me glory. And we begin to discover that God takes us in areas that are uncomfortable, that God takes us into areas that we really don't understand, but that's what God wants to do in and through us. And so we trust Him and we go into areas where we don't have all the answers. We go into directions where we're saying, God, if you don't show up, we have such reliance upon Him that if if He doesn't show up for our livelihood or our sustenance or whatever it is, we will fail. That's relying on God. And that's where we can stop and ask ourselves, you know, individually as well as corporately, what are we doing that if God didn't show up, we would fail? And for a lot of us, we can't say we don't have anything to plug in there because we don't have that big of a faith. We're not relying upon God that much. Do we rely upon God? Do we worship Him? Do we truly rely upon Him? Do we trust Him? Trust is huge. A lot of times we put our faith and trust in other individuals. Trust. Placing our hope in. Saying, God, I'm placing my hope in You. God, I know that 
you are alive, you are seated high on your throne, and that one day you're going to make all things right. You're going to bring everything to a head. One day, as, 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 as your word says, that every single knee, whether they believe in you or not, will bow and confess that you are Lord and King, that you are God. And God, it doesn't matter what the next election is going to bring. I'm not placing all my hope in, into what next presidential candidates going who that's going to be to get elected i'm not going to place it in our economy i'm not going to place my hope in all these things that are absolutely temporary but god i'm placing my hope in you because this i know what's going to happen i have the faith in what's going to happen when i place my hope and trust and faith and worship and reliance in you that's learning to fear god and that's when i'm sorry guys that's when others start coming way down, and God goes way up. God wants His glory. God wants His glory. And there's nothing more incredible than when we as a group of followers in a church come together and put our preferences and everything aside, and we say, God, we are here to bring You glory. Not what other people want, but what You want. God, it's about You. Again, it's about caring about God's opinion versus man's opinion. It's having that audience of one. It's those three words, those, tag, those words that we've been talking about. We passed out stickers, which we still have some available. That's called love, love, trust, and obey. God, I understand that you're pursuing me in and in desire to have an intimate relationship with me. God, I don't understand it because I look at my life and I see some of the things that I've done and I see some of the things I continue to do and I struggle with. But yet, God, you pursue me and you want to have this incredible love relationship with me. I don't understand that, God, but I trust in that. And I trust in it so much that I'm going to follow you. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything that I can possibly do through the power of your Holy Spirit to follow you and to desire you and to be in complete obedience to you. That's what it's all about, guys. Love, trust, and obey. So I don't know if you struggle with this particular idol. Maybe, maybe it may not be a huge idol that you struggle with. Maybe one that you, you know, after we talked about this a little bit, maybe it's one that you're like, ooh, mm, there's, some of the, there's some sentiments in there in my life of, of the fear of man. I don't know where you're at, but I just pray as always or ask, challenge you as always, that this today might be a day where you open your heart to God. And if this is an idol you struggle with, maybe today's the day you smash it. Maybe today's the day you say, I'm done with this idol. I don't care about this idol. Or you say, you know what, I'm going to struggle with this. And God, I need your help. I need your help on a daily basis with this. But maybe this is the day you begin to experience life to the fullest, the life that Jesus promised you, because you're going to begin to live out in harmony with Him and that relationship with Him by loving, trusting, and obeying in Him. Maybe this is the day your life, as you leave these doors, today's going to be the day your life literally changed, changes directions or trajectories, or whatever you want to say. Because you're placing this implicit faith, trust, and hope, and reliance, and all of that upon God, and not upon man, in man. And so, again, I just pray that you would open your hearts and your, your minds to the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe the Spirit is here today. Um, if there's someone that would want to spend some time praying, we would love to pray with you. You could stick around, pull us to the side. We will definitely spend time praying with you, because that's what this is all about. And so, um, as we close here today, I just want to lead us into a word of prayer and um, ask, again, you just keep your hearts and your minds sensitive to the drawing of His Holy Spirit. So let's just take a minute and bow our heads and our hearts before God.
God, we worship You today. In the very literal sense, God, we give You glory today. We lift You up. God, we exalt You. And I pray right now, God, if there are things within our lives that are taking our attention, I, I pray, God, that if there are things within our hearts right now that, that's, that's, that we are looking at to, to, to find things that only You can give us, I pray that You would uh, bring those to our attention and that we may smash those or smash it and follow You implicitly. God, I pray that you would encourage us this morning. I pray that you would just allow us to, 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 to sense your presence in a very intimate, powerful way as we conclude our time here today. God, if there are those in here that are hurting, I pray that someone would be able to surround them and pray for them and lift them up. I pray, God, that you would, uh, that you would just meet their needs. I pray that as we leave here today, we would leave here with a resurgence of hope within us. Knowing that you're in control and knowing that we can trust you with, regardless of what we may be struggling with right here, right now. I commit this to you through the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.